Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Real Life with Evan Halpern. I am Evan Halpern. The 14th installment we have for you today is the second Republican debate. It happened about two days ago. I watched it, so you don't have to, although you should go and watch it if you haven't already. I'm going to go through who was up on the stage, what happened on the stage, and then I'm going to give you my thoughts, and I'm going to give you a prediction at the very end. So, without any ado, let's get going. They started off by asking Tim Scott a question, and Tim Scott was able to talk a lot in the beginning. He was really in there. There is a situation going on in Michigan where people are striking, and he was asked about that. And Tim Scott said, if you strike, you are fired. In theory, that's really good. That's a great idea to... Be able to fire people if they don't show up to work. The problem is there's nuances with the unions that you can't just fire millions of people at a time. But Tim Scott said, if you strike, you're fired. And this idea of a French work day, four days, or sorry, a French work week, four days in the week you work, and you have something like Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off, is not going to fly. And you will not get more benefits and work less time. He says, if you want to make money, if you want to get benefits, you need to work. And the situation in Michigan, President Biden went and he went and he shook people's hands. He probably talked to some people, kissed a couple of babies. Tim Scott shot at him. And Tim Scott said, you shouldn't be in Michigan, President Biden. You should be at the southern border. Almost Every candidate that got to talk pushed the southern border in some way. That was a big issue. And Tim Scott started it off. He said, we need more secure borders, and President Biden is not doing a good job. Which, he is correct. Vivek Ramaswamy got the second question. It was the same question, but Vivek got to answer it. Vivek said, I have no sympathy for union bosses, and I have no patience for union bosses, but I have sympathy for the workers. He drilled off three different kind of slogans, three different ideas, based on this idea that he had. He said, hardship is not a choice, but victimhood is. We are victors in America. He said, really what the people in Michigan should have been doing is picketing at the White House. Their problem is really with the White House, is with the laws, is with the statutes that have been able to be passed under President Biden. They shouldn't be picketing in Michigan and have President Biden come to them. And President Biden is now acting like the good guy, like, oh, I'm, I'm with you guys. He says, no, this is because of President Biden that you're feeling this hardship. Go picket at the White House. However, picketing at the White House would not be victimhood. It would be something that a victor would do. Because you have a problem, and you are peacefully protesting it to try to find a solution. That's not being a victim. Being a victim would be just sitting back and allowing it to happen. And then Vivek, since he's began his campaign, has had 
kind of a slogan almost, an unofficial slogan. And this slogan is drill, frack, burn coal, unlock nuclear power, put people back to work by not giving them more money to stay home. He said this in the first debate verbatim. He said this in the second debate, and he said it in interviews. This is an idea he really believes in. I think it's truly a good idea. America under President Trump was a, next, was a net exporter of energy for the first time ever. And Vivek wants to get back to that. And I think, and he thinks, by drilling, fracking, burning coal, and unlocking nuclear power, first of all, you create millions of jobs. And second of all, he believes, and I believe, that that would make America a net exporter of energy and we believe that because it happened under President Trump. Pence was also on the stage. I forgot to mention him because he didn't talk much. However, he did he did get kind of a shot in. Everybody took shots at Biden and most people took shots at Trump on the stage. Just in the middle of answering questions sometimes almost. Um, Pence said Bidenomics had failed, which I agree with. And while he did say that in kind of an unhopeful way, Tim Scott, Vivek, and Pence, and everybody else who got to talk, their first message was really some pretty hopeful stuff. It was, we can get America back to where it needs to be, and we can push America to be better. It wasn't, oh, the left is destroying this country, yada, yada, yada. No no bringing down messages, really. It was all stuff to uplift hopes and spirits. And I think they all, obviously they all went back after the first uh, debate and looked at at their performances and everybody else's performances. I think they, they took some notes from Vivek there because Vivek's thing is we need to find a, his thing is revolution. We need to find something to revolt behind and in revolting altogether against the system that is not working, we will all make America a better place. And I think that's a pretty hopeful message that we all need to come together and push America better. And I think that purposefully, all the candidates kind of took a mental note of that and said some hopeful stuff to raise some spirits. And this was the first time Doug Burgum jumped in. And he said that we need free markets and we need to not subsidize private companies. And this was kind of his piggyback on what Pence said about Bidenomics. He said Biden is kind of has his hand in the too many cookie jars and the government has its hand in too many cookie jars. And we need to get their hands out of these cookie jars and we need freer markets. And so Chris Christie was then asked the question and he didn't answer the question. He instead took a shot at Trump. I was thinking about this. Chris Christie really is not on that stage to be elected president. Chris Christie is really not on that stage even to gain money for future campaigns of whatever he wants to do. Obviously, he probably 
wouldn't mind being president. Obviously, he wouldn't. He doesn't mind that he's gaining money, gaining sponsors. But I think, truthfully, if you asked Chris Christie and he answered from the heart, he is on the debate stage and was on the debate stage because he wants to bash Trump as much as possible. And the way to do that, and the way to be the only person speaking, is to be on the campaign trail. And so, he takes a shot at Trump and says that Trump raised the national debt, which is absolutely true. That is a fact. The national debt was raised under Trump. However, that is a bit of... It's disingenuous. It's sorry. It's disingenuous. It is disingenuous in the fact that Trump was doing a pretty good job by any standard with the national debt until COVID, until the fourth year. He, we had three years of Trump, and then we had a fourth year of COVID Trump. Now, COVID Trump sent out stimulus packages, did all this stuff. That absolutely raised the national debt. However, we were in a time of an, in a, of emergency, so it's a bit disingenuous. However, Chris Christie did make a good point about the national debt in general, saying the government has just been kicking the can down the road for so fo- so much time, and we have to stop doing that. We have to start paying off our national debt and just take the can off the road, basically. And he was the first person, really, about 10 to 15 minutes in, to try to goad Trump onto the stage. He said, if Trump wants to be elected president, he should be here on this stage with us to answer questions, and he has to answer for raising the national debt. Now, he doesn't have to answer for raising the national debt, and he doesn't really have to be on that stage. I think that Chris Christie may think he wants him on the stage, but I don't think Chris Christie against Trump, I don't think that matches up well for Chris Christie. Rob, uh, Ron DeSantis then jumps in and says, yes, Trump should be on this stage. And Ron in his first message looked a little bit more excited and he looked like he had a little bit more energy than he did in the first debate. The first debate was really not a good showing for Ron. He was very down. He didn't really seem motivated and he had a very bad showing because of that. In the beginning, Ron looked a little bit better. He wasn't the same person he had been when he was the prime governor of Florida. But he looked a little bit better. He may be getting back to that stage. Tim Scott, again, he was doing pretty well by all standards in the beginning. Not to say he did, he did any worse. In the later stages, he just talked a little bit less. But Tim Scott said the way to stop Bidenomics, because they were on a Bidenomics kind of train, um, is to, first of all, cut taxes get money into the pockets of Americans. And he called the Build Back Better plan the Build Back Broker plan in the beginning, which I thought was a little bit humorous. Vivek got a chance to speak again, and Vivek 
was trying to make friends a little bit more than he should be. I think that he went back and rewatched the first one and said, ooh, I called them all bought and paid for. If I get elected, they're probably not going to want anything to do with me. I'm not going to get much help, much guide, um, guideship, much guidance. So I think that he wanted to kind of mend a bond. However, the problem is there was no bond there in the first place. There is never going to be a bond. These politicians hate people like Trump. They hate people. These politicians being people on the stage like Nikki Haley, like Chris Christie, like Pence, even though he was his vice president. I think these people hate the fact that a businessman can come in and do better than something that they worked their whole life at, lives at. But Vivek says that there are good people on the stage, which there absolutely are. Yeah, him, Ron DeSantis. That's probably it. Good politicians, maybe. I don't know about good people. I don't know if you can be a, a politician and be a good person. It's probably possible. However, I would venture to say it's harder than almost any other walk of life. But he said there are people who love America right now, and it's versus the fringe minority and the Democrats. And the problem, he said, was that the fringe minority and the Democrats is kind of running the Democrats right now. The people like AOC, Kamala Harris, these types of people are really at the forefront, and it's them versus the people who love America. And in the beginning, Vivek wasn't doing as well. And I think that's partially because he was trying to make friends. His messages were less strong, though they were still strong and correct. He did not get as much cheering and or as much applause as in the first debate. And so, Doug tried to jump in again and got shut down. He wasn't talking at all he got asked almost no question he got asked no questions in the beginning at all he got asked zero questions and he kept trying to jump in and he kept getting denied and chris christie so they got asked about the southern border now chris christie said strong borders for america and he called it a law patrol problem meaning that the border patrol agents first of all there aren't enough of them and they aren't able to really do their job effectively. And he does have a pretty good record in New Jersey with being strong on crime. He does have something to back it up. But he took another shot at Trump, saying that Trump said they were going to build the wall and they were going to make Mexico pay for it, and they only built something like 66 miles of the wall, and America paid for it, which is true. However, again, there was a a plan in place by Trump to build the wall, and he started it a little bit late, but there was a plan to build the wall, and we were going to get Mexico to pay for some of it. And he wasn't really able to do that because of that fourth year of COVID. Would he have done that? We don't know. If he gets elected again, we will know, because he will have, hopefully, a full another four years to be able to continue enacting his plan. Now, Nikki Haley got a chance to speak for the first time a little bit into it, and Nikki Haley, 
agreed with Chris Christie, we need more Border Patrol agents that are able to do their job. And the policy right now of the Border Patrol is catch and release. And Nikki Haley said, no, we need catch and deport. If we catch you coming into this country illegally, you will be deported under me. We will not release you. You won't be able to come into America and commit crimes and put fentanyl into the drug system. You will not be able to do that. And she also commented on the fact that the government is going to shut down in about a week if they can't agree on a budget. And Nikki Haley said, listen, guys, if you can't agree on a budget, you shouldn't get paid. Do your job. You will get paid. If you can't do that and you choose not to do that, you will not get paid or you should not get paid. Which I agree with. DeSantis made a good point being strong against the CCP. And then they went back to Vivek asking about the southern border. And Vivek said we need to stop funding sanctuary citizen cities and we need to militarize the southern border. And then he made he, – he, he gave out an idea. He pushed an idea that I haven't really heard been, been pushed before. Actually, that's not completely true, and I'm going to go into something else in a second. He said there should not be birthright citizenship for children in the United States whose parents aren't citizens. He said no one in their right mind would claim that the child of a Mexican diplomat in America is an American citizen if they are born in America. And this is a great idea that he has. Because this will stop, potentially, and most likely, this will stop parents of children. This will stop illegal immigrants who are going to have a child from coming to America and having trying to have their child in America so that they are citizens. So this immediately, if we put this in place, I believe will cut down on immigration immediately. And this has gotten some pushback from the left, although they can't actually intelligibly say why this is not a good idea. They just are like, oh, 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 bad, bad. There is no reason why this would not work. And this is something that I had heard. I went, I ventured to Israel a couple of years ago. And I was able to talk with a Border Patrol agent from Israel. And he told me a story where a woman who was pregnant came in from what I believe was the Iranian border. Although I could be getting the country wrong. And had her child in Israel. And as soon as... She was healthy. Israel sent the kid and the mother back into her country. They said, what are we going to do here? Right? We have this newborn child. We have this mother. Are they allowed to stay here? And Israel has a lot more security issues on the border than we do. Because the people that come in, in the sense that the people that come in through the border in Israel illegally... 
most times are spies for people that want to commit terrorist acts. And while there are some people who want to come in through the American border to do some very bad things, I would venture to say that's not most of them. And so this is the first time I've heard that idea of being pushed in America, and I think it's truly a very good idea. And so Tim Scott then got asked another question before any break happened. And Tim Scott shot at Vivek. And now everybody on the stage then jumped on Vivek. Tim Scott said, you were in business with China. How do we know we can trust you? And then a scuffle between Vivek breaks out. And Vivek said, yes, I was doing business. Uh, it was a good business decision to go into business with China. And Tim Scott said, oh, but you're a bad person for going into business with China. And so kind of an argument broke out between them two. And Ron DeSantis was the mediator in most of these arguments that Vivek had with people. Because Vivek was getting shot at from all directions by everybody, except really for Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was kind of calm the entire time and just wanted to get back on topic. And he literally said into the mic, this is not helping anybody, can we get back on topic? So Vivek was able to respond, and he said, yes, I was in China, it was a good business decision. When China started doing all these sneaky, underhanded things, I got the hell out of China. I'm not in China anymore. But everybody still wanted to jump on Vivek, because at one point in time he did business with China. Pence took a shot at Vivek. And said, yeah, you were in business with China. You're not a good person. It was the same trope. But it was just a different person saying it. And then Pence was trying to be funny the entire debate. And just didn't get any laughs. He made a stupid joke about how long he had been in Congress for. And he kind of chuckled at it. No one made a noise. Except for him. And then they went into a commercial, a commercial break. And I think pretty much Everybody looks looked better the second debate than they did the first. Maybe they calmed down a little bit. They weren't as excited, except for Vivek. Vivek had a worse performance. However, the first debate that Vivek was in, very hard performance at top. That was an amazing debate for him, I think. And you can see in the poll numbers, he, he went up a little bit. And so he didn't do as good of a job in the first break as he did in the entire first debate, but he also didn't do a horrible job. Something that I noticed was that Vivek, or sorry, not Vivek, Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie looked very in step with their shots at Trump, almost like they had both been fed the same line and just tweaked it a little bit to so that they weren't plagiarizing each other, but one after the other, they took the same shot at Trump saying he needs to be on the stage to answer questions. Now he's answering questions. He was in Michigan. Yes, he was in Michigan. Either a day before the debate or on the day of the debate. And he held a rally. It's not like he's hiding. He's not hiding in his basement like Joe Biden was. He's doing interviews. He's out and about. He's shaking people's hands. He's talking to people. He's doing interviews. 
it's not like he's not answering questions. He just doesn't need to be on a stage with the Republicans where he would make every single Republican on that stage look ten times worse than they already do because that's just the type of person he is. And he would take shots at everybody and those shots would hit. He doesn't need to be on the stage to get personal attacks thrown at him from all sides. He doesn't need to do that. And because he's not there, everybody is shooting at the person that's next in line to be him almost, Vivek. Everybody seemed to be scared of Vivek because that's really why you shoot at somebody. If you're not scared of them, you just ignore them, but you don't insult them. Everybody was saying, hey, Vivek, we're scared of you. We want to get after you, and we want to make you look not good. And to start off the second break, one of the mediators said, the more you mention each other, the fewer questions you are going to get. And that's actually something very good about the way that the debates are staged, is that if you are directly mentioned, you get 30 seconds to respond. So if you mention your opponent, you give them more time to respond, and you don't want to do that. Unfortunately, I don't think most of the politicians are smart enough to actually understand that, or maybe they're just not able to not mention people that they are opposed to. And I think this worked very well, that Trump wasn't on the stage in Chris Christie's favor, in the sense that he mentioned Trump every time he spoke. And Trump didn't get a chance to say, listen, fatso, stop talking about me. Um, Chris Christie made, a, made an okay joke. Chris Christie again said, Trump, look, you're ducking the stage. You're ducking the campaign trail, which he's not. But Chris Christie's going to say what he wants to say. And he said, look, if you keep ducking me and ducking the other candidates, we're not going to stop calling you Donald Trump. We're going to call you Donald Duck, which is not unfunny, but it's also not hilarious. And then they asked, they got asked about gun laws. Doug Burgum finally got his first question more than 30 minutes into the debate and said, strict gun laws don't work. And that is true. The place with the strictest gun laws Chicago has some of the most gun crime. And Doug Burgum said, we have a problem, which is that police are right now are, are disliked generally by the mass public, and at least in media. And the fix for gun crime and everything else is showing police in a good light. We get people to trust police. We put more police back onto the streets, and we are harder on crime. This is a good idea. And he said, we did this in South Dakota, where I was governor, and it worked. Now, Vivek talked about the southern border a little bit, and he called it a Swiss cheese southern border. He said there are holes all over the place that we can, that immigrants, illegal immigrants, can just jump through. And then they're in America, and people can't keep track of them. And he talked about the fentanyl crisis. He said, The fentanyl crisis is closer to bioterrorism 
and poisoning than a drug, drug epidemic. He said people are bringing in fentanyl to kill people. They're not doing it so that they can make money selling drugs. He said there, there are cartels that want to weaken America, and so the fentanyl crisis, he equated it to bioterrorism and poisoning. And this is not untrue. Vivek, <coughs> excuse me, Vivek said some very smart things in this debate, things that most people either are afraid to say or don't think about. And with this, he got one of the biggest cheers of the night. And you could see he was slowly building more and more momentum in this debate. He started off a little bit flat. Nobody really responded to him. But every question, the responses kept getting louder and louder. He kept doing better and better. And his statement stayed solid the entire night. And when people shot at him, he really just looked like he was having fun. He, he never dropped his smile. And he never seemed really defensive. And I think that's because he knows they're scared of him. They're afraid that another businessman is going to show up and show that Trump wasn't a fluke. That you can go and you can make millions of dollars and then I and then you can go be a better politician than people that try to be politicians their entire lives. And then they talked about gun crime some more. And Mike Pence was able to talk. And Mike Pence um, said he wants the death penalty for mass shooters, which isn't a horrible idea. Because, yes, if you are threatening someone's life or in the middle of threatening someone's life, you forfeit your right to life. That's why self-defense exists. And I think that, yes, at a certain point, if you kill enough people, your right to life should end. You shouldn't have it anymore. And so you should be able to be killed by the government. However, there needs to be a line of a certain amount of people you need to kill. The reason I think this is because if you kill enough people at, at a certain point, you're not going to go to prison and then, oh... I was a really bad person. I need to do blank and blank to get my life better and yada, yada, yada. No. You were a bad person. You knew what you were doing. You forfeit your right to life. Not a bad idea. However, he did take a stupid shot at Ron DeSantis. And for some reason, I don't know if he actually believes this or if he just wanted to take a shot because, hey, guys, everybody else is taking shots. Let me take one. He said the Parkland shooter, Nico Perez, I believe his name was living in prison, he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life, is Ron DeSantis's fault. It's absolutely not Ron DeSantis's fault. Nicholas, Nicholas Cruz was his name, not Nico Perez. I was close. It's absolutely not Ron DeSantis's fault. That's not a law made by Ron DeSantis. That wasn't a decision that was made by Ron DeSantis. It's just a dumb shot. It didn't work. And... It was just, again, it was disingenuous, and it really shouldn't have been said. There was, there was not a place for it. And then Nikki Haley showed that she actually doesn't understand what the word best means. 
And the reason I say this is because she says, just because, or sorry, she said, being the best country means not having the most expensive health care. That's not something that correlates at all, not in the slightest bit. And the reason I say that is because if you have the best health care, which America does, we have the fastest, we have the most effective, we have the best, then yes, it's going to be more expensive. You will have to pay more. Now, healthcare right now is extremely high. It shouldn't be that high. However, it, it is always going to be expensive, and it's going to be expensive because it's good. If you want to go to Canada when you have cancer or a tumor and you want to pay nothing and you want it to be free and you want to wait years possibly to have your surgery and if you want to die before you're able to have your surgery or have treatment then go to Canada and have it be free if you want quick effective good health care you do have to pay a little bit for it that is how capitalism works would it be great if it could be free absolutely but there's no way to make that work now, Doug Burgum kind of chimed in on this. He was able to talk again, finally. And Doug Burgum says, yes, we, we have extremely expensive health care. But this is because the government has their hands in too many cookie jars. What happened a couple of years ago is the government put in new health care, or sorry, new software that made healthcare less efficient. Every doctor, every primary care physician, every hospital uses this software, and it's truly not good software. It's slower, and it was easier for everybody to do their own thing, figure out what works best for them. They were allowed to see more patients, which allowed them to make more money, which allowed them the lower costs. And when you were and then when they are were not able to do this, yes, they raised costs. This was a very strong showing, a very strong statement by Doug Burgum. It was very true, and the way he said it, he phrased it very well. And the second break happened. They're now halfway through. One of the two hours has gone by, and everybody was doing pretty well. I think Nikki Haley took a couple steps back because she showed that she doesn't understand what the word best means. But other than that, everybody was okay. I don't think the fact that Mike Pence took a dumb shot at Ron DeSantis actually hurt him. I just think there was no point of it. And then they came back from their break. And they talked about schools and school choice. And Nikki Haley made actually a very good point that school choice, and this was something that rang true for everybody on that stage they want they all wanted school choice and she also said let's put vocations back in schools let's start enabling kids to actually learn something that will help them which is very true right in your day-to-day -day life take a moment and think how many times do you sit down you read a passage, 
And how many times do you actually break it down in a day? The answer for 99% of you will be zero. I do that zero times a day. I don't sit down and I don't read a passage and I don't highlight some stuff and then write myself with some notes. I don't do that. No. Some of you are plumbers. Some of you are electricians. Some of you are Uber drivers. Regardless, the high, 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 high majority of you are not sitting down and examining passages like you learned to do in all four years of high school. Vocations are useful, and I do think vocations would help. What also would help? Financial literacy. Right now in my high school, financial literacy is an online course. I can tell you right now, there is not a single person in my high school who did not cheat on their financial literacy. The reason that I say this is because financial literacy was on a computer where you sat down with no supervision and it was extremely easy but it took a long time and I you don't want to go most people don't want to go and sit there and do menial tasks and I I know because I'm friends with one of the smartest kids in my school he said he cheated for the first time on the financial literacy because it didn't matter it was a pass fail and it was stupid you need an actual course and she also said digital literacy now this can be the exact same class or it can be a different class but yes the world is getting more technology based you need more digital literacy and then Chris Christie was asked a question a stupid question, a loaded stupid question, a nuanced loaded stupid question about minorities doing worse in school in New Jersey when he was governor and in general. And he smartly avoided this question because it was dumb and didn't need to be answered. And he said, hold on, in New Jersey, minorities did better when I left the state from when I entered this state. Chris Christie didn't do a horrible job. Chris Christie is really a liberal Republican. He's a liberal that runs as a Republican, and that's how he was able to be elected in a state such as New Jersey, which currently is going to shit. But he stated his track record. He said, I did a good job in New Jersey. He said, minorities did better. When I left, than when, when I entered. And he said, and by the way, if you want there to be real changes in school, look at the president. He's sleeping with a member, with a leader of the teachers union. There will be no real change while he's in office for schools. Because teachers don't really want there to be any real change. Some of them do, absolutely, but not the union leaders. A very good point. And then Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis said some weird stuff about slavery that didn't matter. I don't know where or why they suddenly both just wanted to mention slavery. And then Vivek Ramaswamy came in strong again with another 
Very good message. Another strong message. Vivek Ramaswamy was asked about transgenderism. And he said transgenderism, especially in kids, is a mental health disorder. He said, first of all, schools are hiding transgenderism from parents. Their schools are allowing kids to transition inside schools and not telling parents. And this needs to stop. 100% true. Secondly, he said, it is cruelty, not compassion, to, inf to affirm confusion. He said transgenderism is not only a mental health disorder, it is confusion. And he said, no. Everybody's saying you need to affirm them because it's going to make them feel good. It's compassionate. No. He said, it's not compassion. It is cruelty. Very true. You are not a boy because you think you are a boy if you were born a girl. And one of the most common arguments on the left is, why not? Why can't you just let them be a boy? Why does it affect you? So let's say something else and let's think about it from a different way. Something else biological. I currently am 17 years of age. I want you to stop and think for a moment. What is the problem with me identifying as 21? Why can't I go walk into a bar and go place $500 on the Mega Millions and then go buy five Rob Roy's why can't I do any of that? There are laws in place that'll, that stop me from doing that. Now, age is significantly less important than gender in the scope of things. Gender matters about reproducing and continuing generations. Age really doesn't matter so much, except for the laws that, I, that we just talked about. There is a problem with trying to change something and claiming something that is not biologically true. Vivek says it's cruelty to say, no, 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 you actually are a boy. No, they're not. They're not a boy. Stop saying that. Vivek doesn't like it. And Mike Pence made another joke and no one laughed at it. It's really disappointing. I don't know if you just heard me sigh right there. Mike Pence should not be on that stage. He's not going to get elected. He kept trying to take credit for things that Trump did during the presidency. It just wasn't a good showing. Ron DeSantis, and this is something Ron DeSantis has been very good at, is bashing the CCP, the Communist Chinese Party. Ron DeSantis says, look, look at all these jobs that are in China right now. Look at all these companies that are outsourcing. Look at all this. We need to stop. We need to bring it back. We need to get jobs into the U.S. Very good point. And then Vivek was asked about joining TikTok. And when Vivek was asked about this, he said, Hey guys, I have a really radical idea. I actually want to win the election. Isn't that crazy, he said. 
He said, I actually want to be able to win the election. And the, the way I was able to reach young kids now is I'm on TikTok. Kids under the age of 16, he said, shouldn't be on addictive social platforms. However, right now, I can't do anything about that. They are. So you know what? I'm going to go and reach them. Hey, Mike Pence, who actually knows you? Who actually has heard you talk? The people listening right now may have. But I can almost guarantee you if I took a poll of my high school... Not many people can remember anything that Mike Pence has ever said. Or not many people know what Mike Pence sounds like. Vivek wants to reach everybody. And the way he did that was by being on TikTok. He said, why why are you bashing me for being on TikTok? And Nikki Haley jumped in and said, Nikki Haley is an idiot. Or Nikki Haley acted as an idiot this debate i don't think she has that many horrible ideas but on this in this on this debate stage on this night she was an idiot she had multiple gaffes she just wasn't good and she said well tiktok is giving the chinese your info china already has your info you're on so many things China has your info. And as someone running for president, even if Vivek was not personally on any social media, China has his info. He's a member of a presidential trail that is being scrutinized by the media. They have his info. They know who he is. They know what he's doing. And Vivek says, and by the way, Nikki Haley... Let's stop the personal insults and let's have an actual debate. And at this point, he kept trying to say this over and over. He kept trying to continue on with his message because he still had time. People would not stop talking over him. It was Nikki Haley, then it was Chris Christie, then it was Pence. People kept trying to talk over him. And they kept trying to insult him and they did this because they're scared of him. He was trying a little bit too hard to make friends this debate to say, hey guys, shut up. And to actually say, you guys are scared of me. In your heart of hearts, you know I am better than you at what you do and I don't actually do it. Meaning he's not a career politician. And then Doug Burgum again tried to say something. And... Doug Burgum, he just wanted to talk. And he's on the stage. If you're going to invite him on the stage, yeah, he really should be able to talk. But the mediator said, hey, hey, Doug, if you keep talking, we're going to turn your mic off. Now, first of all, that's a dumb threat. They probably are able to do it. But if they're going to do it, they need to actually do it. You can't just threaten to cut off someone's mic because you don't like him or because he's getting less numbers in the polls. He's on that stage. If he's really not doing well in the polls, don't don't invite him on the stage. And if you're going to cut people's mic off, cut people's mic off when they're going over their time by an extreme amount. And cut people's mic off when they're talking over other people when it's not their turn to talk. Maybe we need a talking stick. 
That's not such a bad idea. And then they got asked about Ukraine and Russia. And Vivek said, I don't want to give any more money to Ukraine. I don't really care about Ukraine. And he said, it's not our job to care about Ukraine. It's our job to care about America. He said, just because Russia is bad doesn't mean Ukraine is good. It's not an automatic juxtaposition. Ukraine is not a good place by any means. And we don't like Ukraine. There's a reason they're not in NATO. America probably shouldn't be in NATO, but that's not the point. The point is, there was a reason Ukraine was not allowed in NATO. And Nikki Haley and Pence tried to jump on his back and said, Because you're so young, you don't actually understand. If we let Ukraine fall, Taiwan is next, and then Russia and China are teaming up, and yada yada yada. Russia and China are already teaming up. Russia and China are already fighting each other's fights. They're already in talks. They're already paying each other. And they said, well, the second that you, if you pull money away from Ukraine and Russia is in Ukraine, now Ukraine is going to fall and then Russia is now, and you, and China is now going to see, oh, the United States actually doesn't care and they're going to suddenly think that uh, we can march into NATO countries and be fine. Here's the thing. Um, Russia doesn't actually want Ukraine. Russia wants to cut off people from the Black Sea. They want to kind of have a, mon a monopoly on the Black Sea. They're not going to go into any NATO countries because they're not stupid enough to start a world war, a world war that either they will lose or that will destroy the world. They're not going to do that. As Trump has said, Putin's not a dumb guy. They're not going to randomly destroy the world. That's not their goal. Their goal is to have power. And then maybe they're going to get more and more power by going and monopolizing the Black Sea, cutting other countries off from the Black Sea. But my first ever episode was on this. You can go back and listen to it of where Russia is actually going to go. There is nowhere to go. If they wanted to come, I had a person say to me, well, hold on. Russia is now getting close to the United States. No, 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 no. Russia is already 50 miles away from the United States. And think about that. And you can say, well, hold on, wait a second. No, they aren't. Yeah. Yeah, they are. You actually look. Russia is already 50 miles away from the United States. Alaska and the U.S. is 50 miles away. There's a small stretch of sea called the Bering Sea. And then there's Russia, Bering Sea, the United States. Very easy to get here if Russia wanted to. It's not hard. They can get to the United States and they can come through or they can just skip Alaska and they can go mainland. They're not that far away from us. If they wanted 
too. They could very easily get to us. They don't want to because they're scared. They're always going to be scared, even with a weak leader like Biden. And then Chris Christie took a shot at Trump. And Chris Christie said, I would do a better job than Trump at handling this situation. That's exactly what Trump wants to do. Trump said, look, I'm going to give no more money to Ukraine. That's not what Trump said. Trump said there would be no war if I was in office. However, I don't know if Chris Christie just didn't bring this up or if he forgot that Chris Christie ba- – or sorry, that Trump basically single-handedly created peace for the first time in the Middle East between Israel and a bunch of other countries. There were peace treaties for the first time since biblical times between Israel and other countries. And also, North Korea was not a threat during his presidency. He went and talked to the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. And Kim Jong-un calmed down a lot after that. And there was significantly less tension between North Korea and South Korea. And the mediator then made her own point. I think the mediator was like, hold on, these guys are debating? Let me get in on this. And she just kind of talked for a little bit. And she said that the further we get from 9-11, the closer we get to 9-10. Which is not an untrue statement. Just You're the mediator, why are you talking? <coughs> Excuse me. And then there was the third break. And this trope that... The mediator said is true. Pence and sorry, not Pence. Biden has weakened the country. Pence agreed with that. That's what Pence said, which is true. And then they resumed from their break. And they got asked again about the national debt. And Vivek said, look, I would lower the national debt by putting people back to work putting the Federal Reserve back into place, fixing the Federal Reserve, putting a new commissioner of the Federal Reserve in, and then getting it back, getting it working again. Excuse me. I'm hiccuping here. And then reducing federal employees by what he said, 75%, which is plausible. And it should be possible, and it should be done government right now is way too big there's no reason for anything like the cia or the fbi now i'm not saying we shouldn't have an agency like the cia or the fbi but the agencies the cia fbi everybody needs to be fired we need to build back up from the bottom something that actually works and then pence talked about making America a a net exporter of energy. As I said earlier, that's what Trump did. Notice how when I talked about it earlier, I said Trump. Why? Because Trump was the president. That was actually Trump's idea. That was what Trump ran on. Pence didn't run on any of this stuff. And it all happened under Pence's vice presidency. But you can't claim it if you didn't campaign on it. Doug Burgum wanted to speak again and again got ignored. Kind of funny. Doug Burgum said, hey guys, I'm fighting the Biden administration on 20 fronts in South Dakota. Doug Burgum, as little as he got to talk, him trying to jump in every place that he could showed he wanted to talk, which I think is a good thing. 
And when he did, when he was asked questions, when he was able to jump in, he had a very strong showing. Ron DeSantis again tried to goad Trump onto the stage. But he said, guys, I'm leading with purpose. I'm leading in conviction with conviction. I did this in Florida. I will do it for the full United States. And then Nikki Haley and Tim Scott started bickering back and forth. The third from the third to the fourth break, there there wasn't too much that actually mattered. And the fourth break, they came back. They had eight or nine minutes left. And my thought there, um, it turned into a clusterfuck, for lack of a better word, in the beginning, before the fourth break. And I think that's part of the reason why Trump isn't on stage. He doesn't need to contend with any of that. He can go and he can get interviewed by Tucker Carlson. He can say everything he wants to say. And he can be the only one speaking. And the truth is, no one is actually ready for Trump and his supporters. No one is ready for him to stand up on stage and personally attack all of them, come up with new nicknames... And they're not ready for his supporters to back him no matter what he says, which is not a good thing. However, that is what would happen. And Trump is truly doing people a favor by not being on stage. It's making the Republicans look very strong, look very energetic by comparison. Whereas if he was on the stage, they would not look as strong at all. And he would not be like Vivek and try to make friends at all. Vivek was a lot softer. He thought he was going to make friends. Maybe it's not going to happen. Trump knows that. Trump has that experience. That's just the type of person Trump is also. He doesn't want friends. And they came back from the fourth break. And the commentators tried to play a Survivor-like game. Survivor being the TV show. Where they were like, okay guys, in front of you, you have a pen and you have a paper and write down who is, who you want to vote off the island, who should not be invited back to the next um, debate. And DeSantis said, no, no, we're not going to do this. This is extremely disrespectful. I don't want to do this. DeSantis Every time the mediators have done something stupid, DeSantis has been right there saying, you guys are idiots. It happened the first debate where he was like, I'm not going to do a show of hands like I'm in school. No, if you want to ask a question, ask a question. And here he said, no, that's extremely disrespectful. I'm not going to write down someone's name. What the fuck are you guys doing? And... Then they said to Chris Christie, they were like, hey, Chris Christie, did you write something down? And Chris Christie said, no, 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 I, I didn't write anything down. However, if I had to vote someone off, I would vote Trump off the island. Chris Christie makes me want to punch him. When he was the governor, now, granted, I was extremely young. I didn't have a problem with Chris Christie. Right now, when Chris Christie does something stupid, like going at Trump again, and again, and again, for no reason, 
Trump has never said anything about Chris Christie. That's not true. Trump has responded to Chris Christie. When Trump just talks, he doesn't talk about Chris Christie. I think Chris Christie, first prediction. We're going to have another actual prediction. Chris Christie, maybe in 30 years when he writes his autobiography, if he's alive, he's going to say, I have realized I am gay. I have realized I like Trump and that's why I'm picking on him. He's really like a child at the playground. You know, you used to pull the girl's hair you liked. I never did that. I personally have more respect for myself and others than that. Maybe you did that. I don't know. It's really what it's equating to. And then Chris Christie made this weird remark that Trump has divided family and friends. And that's Trump's fault because he's divisive. What are you talking about? That's what politics does. It's not Trump. It's just politics. People can't talk to each other civilly. It's not Trump's fault. It's just what people are becoming. And then Vivek said Trump was an excellent president. This is absolutely true. These are now closing remarks. He said Trump was an excellent president. He was America first. And he said everybody, me included, on the Republican stage, got behind MAGA, got behind Make America Great Again. But he said America first doesn't belong to Trump. Doesn't belong to him. Doesn't belong to me, he said. It belongs to the people. The people of America are America first. Very good. Very strong. And then the debate ended. Now we're going to get into my closing thoughts. My prediction. And then we're going to be done. If you're still here, thank you so much. This is my longest episode ever. I'm really enjoying it. I hope you guys are. Give me some feedback if possible. My closing thoughts, Tim Scott did what he needed to do. He was high energy. He pushed his talking points. They were all good talking points. However, in the beginning, he talked more than I thought. Not that I thought he should have, just than I thought he was going to be able to. Tim Scott was on the edge, almost. So the way they set up the debate stage, in the middle, highest polling, out, out, out. Tim Scott was on the edge and he talked a lot but it was good I think Tim Scott had the best showing by far Pence was trash Pence that's all I gotta say he was just trash Chris Christie was horrible in the fact that he kept going at Trump now I'm not this guy that loves Trump I like Trump I support Trump if Trump does something I don't like I say I don't like this thing he was horrible in the fact that there was no reason for him to go after Trump like he did Trump is not on the stage. Trump has not said anything about Chris Christie. Just push your points. But he was not horrible at the same time, being that the points that Chris Christie pushed that weren't about Trump actually were some good points. He had a good showing. He just was more focused on making Trump look bad than making himself look good. DeSantis stayed looking good, stayed looking better than he did the first. He also was high energy with his talking points being the same as they always are. Um, Nikki Haley, I don't think, made herself look too good. Regardless of how her points were, the way she conducted herself, I don't think she put her best foot forward. And I think Vivek, at, in the beginning, was worse than the first debate, but he built up some momentum. He still had some great moments, had some very loud cheers. 
and everybody showed that they were scared of him, and they wanted to talk over him. Doug Burgum had some good moments, and it was a good look that he tried to talk more, but he didn't talk over people. He jumped in when no one was talking, and when he was able to talk, he made some good points. The problem, sadly for almost all of them, Ron DeSantis not being included if he starts actually looking very good. Vivek, I don't think, being included. They don't have any chance against Trump. He overshadows the debates. And he has only gotten stronger with each indictment and each court case. There was a disgusting Democrat judge that ruled that hit the Mar-a-Lago property. The one in Florida that is acres and acres and overlooks the water isn't less than 18 million dollars what is he talking about there are actual people that looked at it that do retail that said that hold on a second 18 million is extremely low what are what are you talking about and Arthur Egoron Egoron is the name of the judge. He agreed prosecutors that they overhad properties, and then there were retailers that. What are you talking about? And Trump's pushed this on, on Truth Social. He he, uh, Truth. I don't know. It's not a tweet. I don't know what it's called. He said, this, this Democrat operative valued Mar-a-Lago, the most spectacular and valuable pop property in Palm Beach, Florida, to be a, worth as low as $18 million, when in actuality it could be work, worth almost 100 times that amount. I think that's pretty true. I don't know about 100 times, but there's no chance that th that big of property overlooking the water in Florida is less than 18 million it's just not possible Patrick bet David said if his valuation is really less than 18 million let me buy 10 Mar-a-Lagos the point being that Trump is just getting bashed by everybody and he keeps getting stronger no one has a chance against Trump and here's my prediction. We're going to get into this. Some historical background first. In 1933, Franklin Roosevelt was elected. Democrat Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt was president for 11 years from 1933 to 1944. And the people liked him. And they liked his policies as a Democrat. So they elected another Democrat. Harry S. Truman. From 1945 to 1952, Harry S. Truman was the candidate, was the president. Then they elected sort of a liberal Republican, in a sense, Dwight D. Eisenhower. I would not consider Dwight D. Eisenhower to be a traditional Republican. And for eight years, from 53 to 60, Eisenhower was president. Then it was John F. Kennedy for two years. 
and then it was Lyndon B. Johnson from 63 to 68. So, from 1933 to 1968, there wasn't a strong Republican in office. People didn't like this. Now, not to say they didn't like this. The Democrats, by not doing a great job, started to turn people Republican. And this is why you see older people are more Republican. Because of their values. (coughs) Excuse me, also, yes. And because... Not that the parties have shifted, but the party ideals has shifted, meaning that the left has gotten more left, and the right has shifted left. That's why you see more old people, older people, voting Republican. There was a stretch then that happened. Because of that big stretch of Democrats, people started voting more Republican. Nixon, Ford, they, Jimmy Carter was able to get in there, Reagan, Bush... Clinton was able to. George W. Bush. Excuse me. And then it's kind of gotten equal again. Barack was able to be president. And then it was Trump. And then it was Biden. But from that stretch of 2008, uh, 69 to 2008, there was a stretch of people that solely voted Republican. And the Republicans were very strong at that time. I think... Similar, something similar is going to happen, and we're going to see a wave again of republicanism because of what Biden has done. I am slightly concerned about there being another stolen election. However, I believe it is also possible that the Democrats try to steal the election, and the amount of people that show up and vote for Trump or don't vote for Biden is going to be so massive that it won't matter. That is my prediction. We'll see if it rings true in the coming months. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the 14th segment of In Real Life with Evan Halpern. Thank you so much for listening if you're still here. And even if you're not, thank you so much. For listening at all. See you guys in the next one.